the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is Lucy Chamberlain from East Donnellan Hall in Fingeringhoe. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from spinach and begonias to amaryllis. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Lucy, it's a warm welcome to the show. We're now in March and spring is approaching. Let's talk about what we're going to be doing in the gardens then. Where, where, come yeah. on, what's your first thing? I know, it's a lovely time of year, isn't it? it There's is. so much to do. But um, one thing that I think is important for people to get started with, if they haven't already done so, is to start cutting their lawns. Um, if you're in a mild area, coastal region or a sheltered garden, you might have been doing this already and thinking, what's she talking about that for? But if you haven't, around where I live in Fingeringhoe, we're just starting to cut our grass now. Um, do it on a higher cut. Don't scalp it and, and have the mower low. Set it on the highest cut possible. And then as the season goes on, you can lower the hut. The, the cut as, as things get going um, yeah so just give things a trim over it makes a wonderful difference to the garden oh, doesn't it make them look nice yeah especially if you get your edges done as well it really really sets off your borders which obviously will be all dug over beautifully prepared for the spring and with lots of spring bulbs in them by now yeah because people think that there's nothing to do in the winter but getting those <laughs> edges spot on yeah is, is what it's about isn't it yeah exactly exactly so they are the lawns are looking good <clears throat> but if you add vines like ivy, Virginia creeper, Boston ivy, all those, tell you what, if you look carefully, they're in the gutters, they're underneath the roof of sheds. Get it out now before it regrows. And I think it's a good time to go around and cut it all out, don't you? Yeah. With those climbers that you mentioned as well, you can be really brutal, can't you? You can. Yeah. It's a, if you've had a row with your spouse, your other half, go or your kids, go out there, take it out on the, the path and the scissors. It'll probably thank you for it. It will indeed. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, you can bung up a gutter... Even even downpipes get them growing inside. Yeah. So and you have don't a good know look that round. you don't know they're growing there, do you? No. And then you suddenly start looking and you put out meters and meters of growth. Yeah, yeah, because they're vigorous things, aren't they? So pull it all out, cut it hard back, and off you go, and you'll have a lovely show this summer. Perfect. One thing that uh, has been happening quite a lot again around Fingeringhoe Village because the farmers all know the deadline to cut their hedges. Uh, legally is the you can't do it after the 1st of March um, and while there's no sort of specific law for gardeners to cut hedges I do think it's worthwhile trying to follow and mimic what the farmers are doing because obviously they just don't want to disturb any birds that are breeding or starting to breed and nest in these hedges we pruned a hedge the other day in the garden where I work really hard back but before we did so this was a deciduous cherry hedge we went along the whole length and just made sure that there were no signs of any nest starting and, and that's what I'd advise you doing if, you know, if you yeah. if you do need to renovate or prune a hedge, okay, do it, but check all the way along first, really carefully. But ideally, don't cut them at all now until going well into the summer. Evergreens, if you need to give them a really light trim, but again, you wouldn't be doing that until maybe May or June That's anyhow. Right. So really, if you can, leave your hedges completely unpruned and give the birds a chance. To I haven't seen much signs of birds nesting, have you? Not yet. No, I've seen <clears> some <throat> coupling and yeah. a bit of mating. Um, and that's about it so far, yeah. but it's going to be in the next few weeks. So I think it's just as a word of caution, you know, just don't unless you absolutely have to. And if you do, check thoroughly first. 
Now, you were talking about uh, when you're in a temper, things you go out and prune. <laughs> it's quite a regular my, basis. My favourite would be roses. <laughs> and my dad and I suppose, you know, you, you follow a lot of things that you've been taught in, in years gone by. And roses are something that I've always pruned at the beginning of March. I don't know why. Um, habit. <clears throat> some people still prune them in the autumn, don't I they? I say I have done some of mine in the autumn, actually. Yeah, yeah my hybrid teas. Well, I did them all in December and uh, in November. And no problem. No, no. So, but I'm a March person. Yeah. So get out there and prune your roses. You know, um, in the next week, really. And uh, floribundas you can cut at two heights, can't you? Which helps to give a greater amount of uh, flower. Yeah, of the flower. Yeah. And you can cut. Half of the stems down to literally three or four inches, and the rest leave about nine or a yeah. foot. But hybrid teas down. Oh, hard really hard. That's when you've had a really bad row. Yes. <laughs> hybrid teas, <laughs> cut them down really hard, close to the ground, and you'll get loads of lovely new growth and stupendous amount of flower. Yeah. But it's important, I think, to feed at the same time. Yeah. Good rose been, food. Yeah, but, if, but anything that's got potash in it. Yeah. Because we've got light sandy soil where we are, so we do have to feed and mulch an awful lot, and it makes a big, big difference does so they are prune your roses and feed them as well what's your last yeah. tip then well you know me ken i love my <clears throat> fruit and veg you do and so i couldn't possibly go through this this um podcast without mentioning my favorite veg which at this time of year would be hardy salads um there's this notorious hungry gap isn't there in may when everyone gets panicky thinking there's all the you know the winter veg are finished all my sprouts and maliks and uh my spring veg and haven't really started yet but what you can do is so really quick maturing plants like um land cress which is a really good alternative to watercress really easy to grow mizuna corn salad uh, hardy lettuces um chicory radicchio all those sorts of things rocket all very hardy and they will grow literally in three or four weeks you can be cutting so it's, it's absolutely fantastic to plug that hungry gap sow them in seed trays or in modules to plant out under cloches bob's your uncle sorted and what about leeks? When do you start your leeks off? Come on, you like leeks, don't you? Well, I do, but I wouldn't be doing them just yet. I do, but I start my leeks a little bit later because I don't like the big whopping things. I like mine to be a bit more delicate and dainty. I see, a bit delicate and dainty, so plant <laughs> so a bit later. Yeah. I like it. So thanks, Lucy. There's a few tips for you there. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Let's have a look at some of the gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we're going to be starting in Hyde Hall. Where else can you go? Health and Wellbeing Weekend. It's held at the RHS Garden at Hyde Hall, Chelmsford. Learn about the links between health, happiness and horticulture. Perhaps I should go there with my throat. Uh, normal garden admissions apply. And that's Saturday the 18th and 19th of March, 10 till 4. On Sunday the 19th, the Wicketts Garden at Langley Upper Green is open. As part of the NGS, the Peaceful Country Garden has wide informal mixed borders, which include Narcissi, Camasii, Shrub Roses, Perennials. Admission is just £4.50 and children are free, and that's 11 till 4 on the 19th. And on the Sunday the 20th, Billericay Horticulture Society, a Chantry Way Day Centre, they have a talk, Plants of Seasonal Interest, by Tim Carter of Longhouse Plants. Visitors are welcome. It's just £2 and kicks off at 8 o'clock. Just a reminder, going forward, Wednesday the 29th of March, this is a very interesting one, 7 till 9.30, the horticultural students at Riddle College are holding an evening lecture. 
as an event to discuss the community involvement in horticulture. And former Gardener's World presenter Peter Seabrook with Alison Finlay, the RHS's community outreach advisor, will speak about their experiences. It takes place in the Northumberland Lecture Theatre at Riddle University College. Admission is a mere £10. That's worth going along for. Friday the 19th and 20th and Sunday the 21st of May, just advance warning here, National Flower Show, Highlands House, Chelmsford. So there are, there's a few of the events that are coming up. And if you want to get your gardening event mentioned here on the BBCS's Gardening Hour, please send all those details to me, Ken Crowther, for a, with at least a couple of weeks' notice. Either by email to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or you can write to me at BBC Essex PO Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2. 9XB. Coming up next, myself and Lucy will be answering your gardening questions. And we'll start with Beryl from Eastwood and her snowdrops. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. For the past five to six years, I've had a garden full of snowdrops. Oh, lovely. But this year, I've only got one snowdrop. Oh right, okay. So what? How many did you have? How many did you have beforehand? Like hundreds? Yes, a whole garden. Yeah, and oh. so do you still have the leaves of the snowdrops, no. and they're just not flowering, or is there literally just nothing left? No, there's nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. No, oh. and that's just happened in the year, has it? It just this year, yes. Just this year. Mm. God, that's that's unusual because normally they. Once they get their feet in and they naturalise and they start self-seeding around, they just mm. sort of bulk up more and more and more. Have you seen anything digging around in the garden? Because that would be my first thing. If, if, for example, things like squirrels or anything along those lines that have maybe... Well, well I haven't, but I mean, there is a park across the road, so I yeah. mean, you know, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, for, for the bulbs to deteriorate so quickly... That mm. would be something like a, you know, quite a major pest, and it would be the something like a squirrel digging the bulbs up, or it might be some kind of bulb fly, which is actually destroying the centre of the bulb. Un- know, unusual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be my first thoughts. I reckon it would be squirrel damage more than anything else. But it, the one that you've got left, I was going to mm. suggest. I wonder if it's worth. But I don't want to suggest it. Digging up and having a look and seeing if it looks healthy, because if they are, if it is some kind of bulb fly, you'd you'd mm-hmm. have to cut the bulb open and look in the centre, and there'd be some kind of grub in the centre of the bulb eating it out. But then you ha- then you lose the one single snowdrop that you've got left. So I'm a little bit reluctant to suggest that one. Um, but well, yeah, I could do because it is only on the rockery. So I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, and you could replant mean, it. Well, you well no, because you've got to look. You've got to look inside the centre of the bulb to see whether it's mm. been damaged. So, um, oh, what a shame! I, I, I honestly think it's something like squirrel damage, though, to be so destructive so quickly. Normally, snowdrops, um, na- like I say, they naturalise and self seed really easily, and so they bulk up. And if anything mm. is going to sort of dis- um, disturb them, say like if they're not getting enough nutrition or enough light or something like that, they, they would demise but slowly over the years they just get gradually less and less but what you're describing is like a one-off hit of something mm. which i would think would be more of a squirrel than anything else do you agree right. ken yeah. you think that's about yeah. about it yeah and the only other things is too much water or too dry yeah mm. yeah no i don't water them you know i just leave them no I mean, you shouldn't have to 
Mm. It might be worth getting some more in the green. When snow snowdrops are, um, you can buy dry bulbs in the autumn, but it's actually easier to buy snowdrops, right what we call now. in the green, which is just after the flowers have faded. You'll find a lot of nurseries will be selling clumps of bulbs, and actually you can plant those in the garden to try and re-establish the snowdrops because they obviously were thriving at some point so the garden is suitable for snowdrops but maybe just then keep an eye on a small patch invest in maybe a few bulbs and see whether the squirrels come back and, and take those and if they do save you money and let's talk to peter in rayleigh you've got a question for us peter oh yes good morning thank you um it's regarding growing spinach in pots all oh, right um, in my garden i haven't got much space so uh, the last year or two, I've been growing most of my stuff in pots with relative success, but um, sp- spinach was quite good last year. I don't remember yeah. the variety, but that's basically my question, um, is what sort of uh, what are the best varieties of spinach to grow in, to grow in, in large containers or pots? Yeah, well, there's, there's various types of spinach you can buy, and the main two that you'd come across would be the annual spinach, which is more of a sort of summer crop, and it runs seed quite quickly if it gets dry. And there's yeah. also a what we call perpetual spinach, which is a bit more, the leaves are a bit more robust, but actually I think when, it's, when you've cooked it down, you can't tell the difference. And I would say that the perpetual spinach, which is more of a, um, it's not a perennial, but it will definitely, if you sow it in, the, in say, um, July, it will keep cropping all the way through autumn, in the winter and in the spring. And then you just do another sowing in the spring because the spring um, plants will sort of um, get old and woody. And so yeah. you can, from one sowing, you can be picking for, you know, seven, eight Almost months. all year round. Yeah, exactly. And whereas the, the annual spinach, which is the summer spinach variety, like I say, it runs to seed quickly if it gets dry, which it would do quite readily in containers unless you're watering all the time, which would be a bit of a nuisance. Um, yeah. So I would go for perpetual spinach. Oh, okay. It must have been the annual one that I had. It was fine because what I was doing was making sure that it was kept moist and giving it a, a, a twice weekly feed. Yeah. And it was re- relatively successful. I was actually picking it when it was quite young, so it didn't it didn't have a chance. It didn't have a chance to, to run to seed. seed. It was. I was picking it when it was young, and then I was getting more off it each time. But that must have been the annual because I planted it about. Um, I suppose about end of April when, when you know when the last of the frosts have gone, yeah. and then picking it in, yeah, probably about early early June. I suppose it's quite. Yeah, yeah. Quite no, that sounds about right. And then eventually it does sort of run to seed and run out of steam in the summer. You can also try other leafy salad crops, like you know, in, in, as alternatives to spinach. You can try things like mizuna and komatsuna. There's smaller salad leaves that actually will grow. Um, you can have them raw in salads. Or you can cook them down like a spinach. Turnip tops are another thing as well that you could try. And they're just give you some alternatives because they all all will grow really, really well in containers. All these sort of salad leaves and young, small salad plants are perfect for containers. Yeah, most of the stuff I've done has been good. The lettuce, tomatoes, Mm. strawberries. Fantastic. I've all all done sort of relatively successfully in in large pots as long as I keep an eye on them. It's the watering, is it? The watering and the feeding that you've got to watch out for. Yeah. And just make sure so that when you when you choose a container for growing your veg and your fruit in, try and choose one that you can, that's as big as possible, because then that reduces the amount of watering that you have to do, because that's the one limitation of growing things in pots. If you go lots of little pots, you're forever watering and the things don't crop very well. Yeah, no, I had big ones. I, I bought these uh, as, well, as big as probably you can get hold of. I was Perfect. As big as possible so that yeah. they've got space to 
to breathe and grow. So, yeah, so exactly. Rather than little ones. No. Uh, okay. Thank you. Oh, it sounds like you're doing everything right. No, no problem. Enjoy the spinach. And we go to Eve from Harlow. Hello, Eve. Hello. Um, I, I was just going to ask your opinion. Um, of in magazines now, it seems as though there's a advert for strips of fabric with uh, seeds planted in in it. Yeah. And you just evidently lay it on the ground and, or, you know, you must prepare some way, but you lay it up like with strips and then mm-hmm. um, they seem to, well, they um, more or less say that they work. But yeah. I just wanted, wondered your opinion. I, I, we think those those um, products are very good if you are um, wanting something that saves you having to space out your crops and having to so all that fiddly thinning that sometimes can be done um these tapes have got seeds at set intervals impregnated into them and so it means that like you say literally lay them on the top of your compost cover them over with a little bit more more soil or compost water them in and then the seeds should germinate at the ideal correct spacings and it saves you all that faff of thinning out um so that's the theory behind them they are very good as long as you make sure they're kept well watered because you just want to make sure that the paper has enough moisture around it to break down and allow the seeds to sort of pop through. So that's the only limitation. Just make sure they don't dry out. Um, there is one thing. Um, can you buy them in the nurseries? Um, I think there's a couple of seed companies that sell them and those brands, as far as I'm aware, are, are ones that garden centres will stock. I think it's, is it Sutton's that do Yeah, I think it's Sutton's, do yeah. tapes, yes. Yeah, and Sutton's is a brand that's very readily available in garden centres. So, yeah, any larger garden centre that stocks stocks the Sutton's range oh, should should do that. But do, do oh, double lovely. just double-check online before you go and visit. Cause I'm sure, it, from memory, it is Sutton's, but uh, just double-check that. Um, anyway, we won't, we won't say that. Now, we've got an email, haven't we, Lucy? <laughs> yeah, we have. I'm going to read it out to save Ken's voice. Um, it's from Patricia, uh, who lives near Halstead. She's saying, Dear Ken, I have three small horse chestnut trees growing in a six-inch six pot. They're planted in autumn uh, 2015 and are very precious to me as the conkers came from a tree given to me by my late father at our former home. Would now be a good time to separate them out and pot them on individually? If not, when would be the best time to do it? Um, so, Patricia, we, Ken and I have had a chat, and it's definitely a good time to be doing this because the conkers will be starting to come out of their winter dormancy and uh, bursting into growth. So you want to actually get in there before they put on too much root growth and uh, just gently tease them out from the pot, split them up and put them into either separate containers or if you're wanting to, you could put them out into the garden, straight into the ground. But just bear in mind the size of a horse chestnut really sizable trees massive um, yeah so so unless you've got a huge garden one of these lovely estates that we all were very envious of uh, you might want to keep your horse chestnuts in pots and that will actually keep them smaller and more easy to manage so they are uh, thank you for your email that's patricia in house dear got paula in hockley haven't we paula yes you have <laughs> hi good morning um i've set my begonia corns and they're all shooting but some of them are huge, as big as my hand. Can I cut them in half? Yes, you can. Yeah, so the corms themselves yeah, so are, are just... A few years old. Monsters, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, you can do... Do you need to let them shoot first, Lucy? Well, they are shooting. 
Yeah, if they're already shooting, I mean, you can do them when they're dormant or you can do it when they're shooting. It doesn't matter as long as they haven't put on too much root growth because you may find that they've started to root into the compost beneath. Um, And if they've done that, just be very careful with the roots because you obviously want to keep those intact. So get a sharp knife, something like a bread knife or a really good kitchen knife and chop the the begonias in half or in quarters. As long as each one's got a good couple of growing points, you're absolutely fine. Lovely. Oh, great. Yeah. I should be out in the greenhouse with my <laughs> nice. Give me a job for the morning. My Would pleasure. you put sulphur on it? Sulphur well, dust? You, you, can, you can do, yes. There's, there's green and yellow sulphur, which could be used as a fungicide just to coat the cut surface to, de- to deter any rots from, from entering Does help, that, that. Yeah, or, and you can also just dry them out for a couple of hours on the surface as well. But just make sure that if you do that, that the roots don't dry out at the same time. So. Right. Okay, Um, we had um, Stephen Halstead saying, am I too late to prune my roses? No! (laughs) No, no. First week in March, that's the the week I always reckon. That's Ken's time. We we always differ on this, Ken, don't we? Because I've tried experimenting now with pruning my roses in the winter and the late autumn because I don't often have time in the spring because I know spring's a very busy busy time and I'm doing other stuff. But and I've so I've done that this year and the hybrid teas are all budding up and sprouting and we've had some frost and they haven't been damaged. So That's good. You could do them then, but absolutely now if you you don't want to leave it any later than March, do you, when it comes to pruning roses? Because the if you prune the growth once it's already shot and made a lot of extension growth, essentially you're wasting the plant's energy and it's just better to try and get in there before they bud up too much with the secateurs and uh, yeah, go for it. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Got another email here, haven't we, from <laughs> Anne of Leia. Anne of Leia. I love, I love your subject matter of your email. Yes, Anne. it's dog pee, dog basically. Wee, yeah. Dog wee, <laughs> So shall we have a, yeah. read, it, read that one out and I will get do it that. sorted? Yeah, so uh, we have a small garden and allocated a small area for the dog to wee. That's wheel. a good idea. Yeah, it really is, actually, because they can cause a little bit of damage, as Anne is finding out, I guess. Um, we are on heavy stony clay. We've got a good layer of topsoil on this patch and plenty more in my compost if I need it. I've got two problems. <laughs> the wee is not draining away because of the clay soil. And also it's a bit odorous, a bit ponky. Um, so we're not able, able to do very heavy digging. Can you suggest how to improve the soil in this area? Is, is there something safe for all animals that I can, I, I can apply to the soil to neutralise the smell? See, really, you need to dig out the clay yeah. and put hardcore or something loose exactly. in underneath. It's what we but call the They're saying they can't away. dig it, they can't dig it. Do you know what I would do, though? I would employ uh, an gardener literally for Digging an hour, a couple of hours, at absolute mm. max. It's going to cost you, cost you like skip, you know, 15 quid to, for, for an hour's labour, if, if that, and dig a hole. Essentially what we're making here is what we call a soak away. Yep. Which, if say if you've got a waterlogged garden, you dig a pit, you fill it with, like you say, hardcore or, or coarse gravel, real chunky stones or gravel. And so anything that's added to there, in this case, the dog's um, toilet number ones, uh, will drain away into the gravel and not sit there. And that will also then help with the smell. But did you know that you can actually feed your dogs, my mum does this, and we've done it for years, right. tomato ketchup. And that helps. And that stops. If your dog especially the female dogs, if they wee on your lawn and normally it burns doesn't it, burn. it doesn't burn. So there's so, an added tip there, Anne, for you. Right, and I don't know that soil is the best medium to have on the top. No. I'd put a membrane and bark, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. And that you way, mean you actually, I like what you've done there for the dog. It'd <laughs> be nice to the dog, because it won't make as much mess. You yeah. won't get 
cloddy, messy paws indoors. No, that's a really good idea. And if you've got bark, you can clear up the number twos well, yes. much easier. Because we haven't mentioned that at all in this no. email, but we're presuming that the dog also does that as well. Yes, so yes. you've really got to clear up. This is a very special up. dog. So <laughs> a very special dog. <laughs> Shall I go through this letter as well? Yes, we've got a letter. Got a letter. Oh, was, yes, yes, clear the letter, at... and then we'll go back to the phones on 0300 200 40 41. Yeah, so I've had a letter. Uh, we love letters. We like old handwriting, don't we? Yes. So this is from June Keane. It's, it's an old in... silver birch, isn't it? It though? is, yeah. She lives in Brentwood, and uh, she sent us some lovely photographs of an old, established silver birch. It's quite a sort of signature tree in their garden. She's worried about it because it's got these knobbly growths all over it. It's losing small twiggy branches. Which happens and, this time of year. Yeah, it, especially after Storm <coughs> Doris. Yeah. Um, so she's just concerned about it, and there's an, an area of um, at the base of the trunk that there's a sort of damp, soggy bark. Um, so there's a few things going on. Looking at the photographs, we think this tree is suffering from something called witch's broom, which is a general term for when a tree gets these sort of gnarly, cankerous-y, um, woody growths on it that, that, that then produce lots of twiggy little shoots. Um, if they get very heavy June, those witch's brooms, because often they appear at the tips of branches and you're worried that they may be fall down, you could nip those out. You could prune those out yeah. with some long-handled loppers because um, I can see it from the photos. It's a tall tree. Just in case they're going to fall down because they can get quite heavy in stormy weather. But I also think that's why lots of the little branches are falling off because witch's broom produces an excess of, like I say, lots of little twiggy shoots. And so we were saying birch actually lose a lot of twiggy shoots in the wind anyhow. This tree, because it's producing an excess of twiggy shoots, will just lose a lot more. So that's what's going on there. And also just bear in mind, birches are fast-growing trees but also that means that they die quite quickly they're fast they live fast and they die fast um in my mum and dad's wood we've got um oak and chestnut and birch um i remember the birch being there when i was a little girl many of the birch now have actually rotted off and died away because they grow fast they're soft-wooded plants um and they are, they're vulnerable to decay. So it might be worth getting a tree surgeon in to come and have a look at that area of bark at the base that you're talking about. Because obviously if there's weakness at the base of the tree, and this is a very tall tree, it goes straight up um, about a oh, good, good 40, 50 foot. But their life is not long, is it? A silver birch tree has not got a long life, No, it has hasn't. It? And this, this tree looks like it's, you know, it's done its growing. Uh, the only way is sort of downhill from here. So just check that there isn't decay that's going to actually destabilise the base of the tree and cause it to fall. I would think that would be quite an important priority to make. OK, back to the phones as promised on 0300 200 40 41. And we'll go to Joe from Lee. Hello, Joe. Hello, good morning. Um, I have an amaryllis. Yeah. And it's had one stem which flowered and the, all the flowers have died. I've got a second one and leaves coming up. Do I cut the first one off? Oh, so this is all coming from the same bulb, is that right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first flower is, or the spike is now fading. Yeah. Yes, and uh, you've got a new one coming through. So yes, the the one that's faded, literally get a sharp knife, cut that off right to the base. Obviously, pe being very careful that you don't cut through any of the new shoots that are com coming through. But yeah, that's absolutely fine. And keep the leaves. Yes, try and keep the yes. leaves as much as you can because that feeds up the bulb. And then once your amaryllis has produced another flower spine it might keep throwing up two or you know three or four oh, if you get a really really big bulb so just enjoy the display whilst it's there and then once it's got to the point where it's not flowering anymore you want to start gradually drying it off and then um so reduce the watering um after a month or so you could give it a liquid feed in that time beforehand to bulk it up but then start reduce the watering dry it off in the um sort of late summer going into the autumn and then it'll be ready to be potted up again in the late autumn winter for a Christmas display. 
Okay. As I say, I wasn't sure, and then I suddenly see a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's lovely. Often the big bulbs. Yeah, so the, that, that's that's fantastic. Enjoy the display. Thank you very much. For Our your pleasure. Help. That's Joe from Leeds, and we've funny enough, we've got a few emails this week, and um, can you? Have, See yeah. that one's another pesky weed. Oh, and who's goodness. that from? <laughs> this is from Ian Finch. I haven't got a, a, a location for you, Ian, but uh, you've sent us an email saying, I have got, oh, and a picture. Fantastic. Uh, what is this pesky weed? Uh, I dig it out, but it comes back stronger year after year, which a lot of weeds do, which is not to our annoyance, I'm afraid. Um, it's got an interconnected shallow tuber style root. That's very specific, Ian. Thank you. And it grows up to three feet high and flowers once the sun gets on. Um, I don't want, want to, to put weed killer. killer. What do I do next? Ah. Ground elder. This is ground elder. Yeah, looking at the picture. That's a really lovely picture. Thank you for that because it makes our job so much simpler. It used to be a, a herb. It is a herb. Yeah, actually, it, is, isn't it? it is a herb. What and was it, it used was for? Gout or something? Something, wasn't it? something very Bizarre, medi- medieval it? Yeah. like that. When back in the day when yeah. people got gout and that kind of thing with because of their diet. But but yeah, it's it's ground elder. Um, which, Digging out does not work, does well, it? Well, do you know what though, Ken? On it depends on your soil type. I because th- we have got ground elder in our garden back at Fingringho but Fingringho we're incredibly lucky in that sense because we have a very light sandy soil yeah and we have managed because oh. ground elder is quite a shallow rooted weed not like knotweed or bindweed we've managed to dig most of it out but, but what you said was yeah sandy exactly shallow soil which not it many people clay, have you can't do it if Ian you're on clay it then, just breaks yeah it does it fragments and any I, little section left I hate to shoot. say it, but the only thing that I think you'll get rid of that is actually Roundup. Yeah, yeah, I think... Glyphosate. Yeah, it's one of these examples of a weed that actually, a systemic weed killer like glyphosate, would actually be incredibly useful because this uh, glyphosate will, when you apply it to the leaves, it travels back down into the roots and kills them off. And as long um, as you don't touch anything else green... Yeah. It yeah, is perfectly safe. It's inert when it hits the ground, Yeah, yeah. isn't it? It is. Um, so I've just noticed where you're from, Ian. You're in Arsford because you've, you've signed your uh, email. Oh, yes. Hashtag frustrated. Frustrated of Arsford. <laughs> so sorry I didn't like notice it. that straight away. But, but yeah, um, if you can uh, use weed killer, I know you, you're not you keen don't. to, but um, if you were going to do that, which is what we would advise in this one example because uh, of, of mentioning that it's difficult to dig out, wait till your ground odd has produced loads of foliage. Don't do it when there's the odd leaf coming through and here and there. And don't do it when it's too much foliage. No, wait till it's got lots of leaves, but not... During the, the spring. Yeah, exactly. And then wait until that time and then spray. The more leaf you can get covered with the herbicide, the better effect you'll have. And the more you'll knock it back in one hit. You won't need to keep reapplying, reapplying no. more and more chemical. You can do it in one hit. It will die back. Job done. And, in fact, you can try putting black polythene and stuff over, but it won't kill it off. No, it? I was going to say that. If you're really Mulch. against doing that, then putting some kind of like permeable membrane down would work. Um, if you want to then have an area where you plant through in dots, say like if you want a shrub yeah, border, yeah. and you just want to permanently plant through in little pockets. That Tell you what, though, it'll push through. Yeah. It's yeah. a devil. Yeah, yeah. So, but if, you know, if, if that would be your option if you really don't want to use any weaker. Okay, we go to Hillary from Wickford. Hello, Hillary. Hello. What have you um, got for you, us today? Um, well, you were talking a few moments ago about the problems of dogweeds. We were, yes. Yeah, that lovely subject. And she was saying something about tomato ketchup. Oh, yes. So Yes, we, I was. That, re- repeat that, because I, this is what I thought. Tomato ketchup, now what does that mean? If you've got a... I mentioned it's, it's only for female dogs. 
this works. Oh. But if you have a dog that marks your lawn with urine, yes. uh, and normally that's the female dogs, I've, uh-huh. if you've got a male dog, it might work on that as well. But if you add a good squirt of tomato ketchup to the your dog's food, when they ingest that, there's something in the tomato ketchup that, or any tomato based product. But the it, ammonia. Neut- yeah, exactly. And it stops it scorching the grass. Now, do you do that daily? Yes, you do. Put it in the food, do you? Yeah. Yeah, just give a good old squirt in the food. I've heard for ages. I'm sure that will help so many people who have (laughs) got that problem. And I thought I must ring back and just that I wasn't just hearing things. <laughs> no, you weren't. And I'm, really is the magic answer. Yeah, and I'm sorry if I was trying to squeeze too much in, Hillary. But yeah, that is that no, is I what know, you I need to do. I understand, but I thought no, I'm, I can't let this go. I'm really mad <laughs> if she's if what I heard was true. Yeah. Thank so you say, very much indeed. It's very interesting of, listening to your program. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure. Thank so you. sales Bye. of tomato ketchup are going to rock it in Essex now. <laughs> and we're talking to the Veronica from Springfield. Hello, Veronica. Good morning to you. Um, my question relates to Aeonium Schwarzkopf. Oh, yes. Lovely plant. Yeah, it's a lovely plant. I'm having them indoors for the winter. And it looks as though, from one of the big plants, it looks as though lots of hair. It's almost like a fringe coming down from the uh, stem. Oh, right. So From the stems? Yeah. They do actually produce... Are they aerial roots or something I like that? I believe they are, but... You don't always see them because yeah. they're quite fine, aren't they, Veronica? Very fine, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I see. So, yeah, I mean, I've got I've got this succulent at home myself and I think it's an absolutely lovely plant, but mine's never done that. That's why I'm a little bit confused. But I, I know mm. that plants do, succulents especially, can produce aerial stems, um, aerial roots, sorry, from their stems. And is it this, this at the top of the rosette or is it sort of lower down? Or it's, Well, the plant, I suppose, is about uh, two foot in length. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and this is about halfway down. Oh, right. It looks like a fringe. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> are you, I mean, are you are you concerned about it or is it just a curiosity? Well, I'm concerned because the amount of the rosettes have got smaller. Right. I know leaves come off at this time of year because I've got quite another, I've got a lot of other plants as well of that brand. And yeah. And I'm just thinking, do I cut it down and put it, plant it back with the air roots going into the ground? No, um, no I, I wouldn't, wouldn't. because there's probably not going to be that many aerial roots in comparison to the root system that your anium will have already developed. So, and I, 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 there's about twenty on. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I, I wouldn't think it would be. There's always a risk with aeriums when you say if you cut the stem and then you replant it at a further depth there's always a risk that it's going to rot off or not have enough roots to actually settle in so i think it might be um a, a, a better approach to actually just try and gently encourage your aeonium into more healthy robust growth and you could do that by like oh, i wouldn't do it just at the moment maybe wait for things to warm up slightly more but then apply a really gentle liquid feed to it to try and gently boost it forward um like a um a, not, a, not a tomato food because they're not a flowering plant. You don't want a high potash food, but you want maybe like Baby Bio, which I know is quite yeah, a high nitrogen would, feed, isn't that would it? Help, wouldn't it? Um, if you apply that at maybe a half its standard rate so that you're not sort of feeding the plant too strong a, a fertilizer, which could damage roots, um, just apply it at half the rate and just gently try and encourage it back into more healthy growth. Um, and when you put it, um, is, is it in a pot at the moment and then you move it outside and leave it yes. in the pot? Yes, yes. 
Yes, I've got about a dozen of them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> just try repotting them as well and just seeing if some fresh compost will help too. Some, something really gritty and free-draining, but also something that's got some slow-release, a little bit of slow-release fertiliser in it, just to try and boost the plants up. Right, lovely. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. OK. And uh, we've got a text in from Sue in Colchester. Um, now, she's talking about a cotoneaster, and it's quite interesting because she says... Ours are looking bare, sparse leaflets, branches looking poor. Do we cut it back? Or is it too old to save? It's been here for years. Uh, now, it might be because some of them are deciduous or semi deciduous. One of the gardens I look after, we've got a deciduous cotoneaster there, um, which has got no leaves on whatsoever at the moment. So, do so just double check what you might have. Maybe take um some shoots along to a local garden centre or send us a photograph into into Ken here we can have a look for you but bear in mind that some of them are deciduous it may be because you're saying it's been there for years and years maybe it is an evergreen and you know it's an evergreen but it's just looking a bit sparse now cotoneaster will renovate incredibly well if you want to be brutal with it you can give it a really hard prune and it should come back with a bench now I say yeah. should because there's a slight caveat there, because if your plant is suffering from some kind of root disease that's causing it, it to won't. generally be weak, yeah. it might actually kill it if you prune it hard, because it's not going to have the energy to actually regrow and re-sprout. So it's up to you how uh, how brave you're feeling, how important the plant is to you, how, how significant the spot it is in the garden. You could, like I say, just go belt and braces, renovate it, see what happens. But if you're more nervous then it might be worth just trying to look around at the root system, get a, a garden uh, fork and just poke around at the root system and just make sure that the roots are looking <clears throat> healthy. If you get a strong... White, your little white roots you're looking for, aren't that, you? Exactly. And if you get, a say, like a strong mushroomy smell, yesterday we dug up a plant that had honey fungus on it, the smell of mushrooms. Revolting. God, it was really strong, really yeah. powerful. You will know if it's suffering from something that's that, like honey fungus that can be destroying the root system slowly over the years. So maybe have a look at that as well. And it is a musky... Mushrooms. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's, like not, the, a, it's not a nice mushroom. No, like the ones you've forgotten at the bottom of the no. fridge for about yeah. a fortnight. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. We've got a note here from Jackie who says she is, wants to reduce her oversized hydrangea. Didn't have the courage to cut it right down. I'm glad you haven't. <laughs> uh, took out quite a lot of the tall other stems. It's new buds are on the other stem. Should I give it a good feed? She's done it right, hasn't she? She's yeah. obviously cut half of them down. Exactly. And half of them not down. Yeah, which is what you need to do for hydrangeas. So, Jackie, if you had sort of gone, right, I'm going to hack it back and see what happens, you'd have got loads of growth, but you've got no flowers this year, or you've got a much later display of flowers. And, and that's a bit because they flower on last, last year's, year's growth. growth. And the last year's, it's specifically the buds at the top of last year's growth. So even if you reduce the stems by half, you still be cutting out all those flowering buds. So what you've done by selectively thinning out half of the shoots low down and leaving the other ones absolutely as they are, that's completely the right thing to do. Gold star, top of the top of the class, well done. Um, and yes, you're asking, should we give it a good feed now? If so, if so with what? Yes, you can give it a fertiliser now because it's been given a prune and you want it to regrow well. It's too early for a liquid, isn't it? I would say so. You could put a granular fertiliser down or one of the or like organic, like a bone meal or, or something along those Lovely lines. Love bone. Yeah, exactly. And um, we should just mention, shouldn't we, that with hydrangeas, the flower colour is affected, but not by the food or anything. It's by the soil pH. Type. Yeah, and you can add 
if you want a blue hydrangea, for example, you can add this uh, ammonium-based uh, hydrangea bluing agent, which will tweak or the flower colour. Or twisted iron. Yeah, exactly. That's a very similar product that will do the same kind of thing. So you can tweak the flower colour um, of your hydrangea too. They are. Hydrangea sorted for Jackie, and <laughs> we now go to John in Brentwood, who's asking about hebes. Morning, Ken. You do realise voice changes are supposed to happen when you're a boy. Oh, I see. <laughs> I'm so young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice one. Uh, how can we help you? Right, I've got very old, very straggly Hebe. Yeah. It's sort of running along at ground level, trying to. Can I prune a Hebe? I have a feeling I was told you can never prune them. How old? Not you, the brute, the Hebe. 10.66. No, seriously, how old's the Hebe? 10 uh, years or more? No, more. More? Yeah, it's quite... Risk, high. quite high risk, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I have been asked to, because Hebe's can get a little bit, as you say, a bit straggly, a bit wayward, and sometimes you want to sort of bring them back into within bounds, and there's some Hebe's that respond well to renovation. Is this a small leaf or a large leaf? A small leaf. Yeah. They're less. Yeah. What, also, John, check at the base of the plant and see if there are any kind of buds, buds or young shoots because that's the way I always use to tell whether that Hebe will renovate or not because some do, some don't. And it's very difficult to determine that without... If you look at the centre of the plant, though, and there's shoots coming from the lower portions, then you can cut all the straggy top bits off to where those shoots are and it will, in time, renovate. Yeah, but if no, there aren't any, then no, there you, isn't. No, you're you're, no, you're, you're probably to be honest. Funny, John. That, um, I was working in a garden the other week with uh, another gardener, and in fact, we disagreed over a hebe, but it was a large leaf one, and um, she was saying, "Oh no, 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 no! If you cut that back, it'll die." You see, so I said, right. "No, I'm going to cut it back." And in <laughs> fact, there were some small shoots at the base, and that's the reason I cut it back, because. Yeah. Um, Chances are, I mean, I did warn the warn the customer that it might die, but I mean, you have to warn people, yeah, like we're warning you. But yeah. personally, I think it's worth a crack, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, even if you can't see anything there, if the, it sounds very much, John, like this EB is pretty much, it's not earning its keep in the garden anymore, anyhow. So it's either keep it as it is, which doesn't sound like an option because it's very straggly, or dig it out, or why not give it a prune back. See if it res responds well. And if it does, fantastic. Everyone's happy. If it doesn't, then uh, a trip to the garden yep. centre might be needed. No, I would leave it because it's the tortoise hideout. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> I love how Give you're putting a... your tortoise before your garden well, I'll tell you what you could do. Give it a light trim. Right. Yeah. A light trim over the top. About this time? Uh, yeah, this Yeah, month. we could let it flower first and then do it. Yep. Yeah, because the flowers, the, the flowers are just beginning yeah. to... Yeah, bees, bees love the flowers for hebes and they're an important early flowering plant for, um, for um, early emerging wildlife. So maybe leave the, leave the pruning until um, the flowers have done their thing. And then, as Ken says, give it a light trim. So cut back to side shoots that are lower down. So you're reducing its sort of like straggliness, but you're not cutting out all the green growth completely. Uh, Amanda in Southend has texted us and she says, is it too late to split and divide? Perennials. Well, you like doing that, don't you? I do. Do you know what, Amanda? As well, yeah, that's a very good question because I am probably going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks. Um, herbaceous perennials are just starting to push through the uh, soil now. You can see mm. some of them are quite advanced, like things that flower early, like the poppies, 
um, and uh, others are still slumbering away. The heleniums that flower later in our, our garden are still looking fairly dormant, and the hostas as well at the moment. I've got a, a clump of hostas that I need to divide because they've all sort of grown to the front of the border and then nothing at the back. So because there's no signs of growth at the moment, I am going to jump in there and lift and divide them. Um, so even if things have started to sprout um, and you know got a couple of inches of growth on them, you can divide them. Um, just make sure that you water them well uh, after you've done so, and in the, any dry periods in the spring and summer after that point, because they will have had a bit, quite a lot of root disturbance in the division process, and you just want to make sure that they settle into their new site perfectly well. So, and rules when it comes to dividing, don't make the clumps too small. Um, if there's congested old middle parts, just keep the outer edges, which are much more productive and vigorous. Um, and uh, yeah, sort of get in there with a spade. I was going to ask you how to chop them up. Yeah, with a, with a lot of weight and jumping spade. up and down on a spade yeah. and some stout footwear. Because if you jump on a spade with your welly boots, do you know what? It can blink and well hurt. So I always put my walking boots on, which are a little bit stronger. And then I can go in there and, and confidently stamp on the spade and slice through and know that I'm not going to hurt my foot. So. Now, give it a call. 0300 200 4041. Got a live free at the moment. We're going to talk to Mick. Mark's Tay. Hello, Mick. Hello, Ken. What you, you got for us? Don't sound too well. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> he looks all right. Saying, I know. <laughs> uh, I've got some uh, ivy I want to get rid of. It's coming through from the through the fence. Yep. From my neighbours, hmm. <laughs> and uh, I've sprayed it with glyphosate twice. Yeah. I've had the glyphosate for quite a while. Right. I don't know if it goes off, does it? Is it um, a concentrate or is it one of those ready-to-use sprays? It's, uh, it's a... You have to mix it. You have to mix so it's a liquid, right. a concentrate. Those don't, those those then shouldn't go off as much. The ready-to-use sprays can, um, because yeah. they're already diluted, they don't have such a long shelf life. They still have a, yeah. a shelf life, but if it's a concentrate, then you should be you should be okay. Uh, but you, have you sprayed it, like, recently then and it's done nothing? Is that... I've done it twice. And when, when? When did you do that? Uh, um, oh, I've done it a couple of days ago, I think it was, and it's still all... No, 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 no don't worry about you're that. You're being impatient. <laughs> yeah, give it a little while to work, Mick. Sometimes no it can... Have you? Oh, dear. <laughs> you phoned up the wrong programme. <laughs> Gardening's not for you. <laughs> um, but no, what you need to do, Mick, like I say, is literally wait at least a week or so, if not longer, yeah. to see the, the, the effects of the glyphosate. I've done it twice. Yeah. Twice. I, I waited uh, before it rained. I didn't do it while it was raining. No. And I've got it really wet. Yes. Really strong brew. That's perfect. And, uh, and how long? But you say that was only a couple of days ago. Well, I've done it uh, a couple of days before that as well. Yeah, it's still really too early to, to notice yeah. any major... Yeah, so don't worry. Forget about it for a week and then go and have a look and you'll probably come back and it will be starting to wither up and be brown. I hope so. so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Thanks so don't you worry. Anyway. Don't you worry. Okay. That's, that's our pleasure. Going. Keep, yeah. Bye. Okay. And we go from there to Janet in Chelmsford. Hello, Janet. <laughs> Hello there. Um, I've got a couple of questions about yeah. new bushes that I've bought. first one was called a Lysesteria formosa. Oh, a lovely shrub. Yes. Yeah, that's yes, good. The, the pheasant I was bearing. really attracted to it and treated myself to it. That's about a year ago. Now, I put it in a tub. Yeah. And I've kept it over winter. It's perfectly all right. Mm. But I noticed that it's 
shooting quite a bit. Does it need any trimming? Um, when it's very young like this, I wouldn't even worry about it. I would just give it um, a, a good bit of fertiliser in its container and make sure it doesn't dry out all throughout the spring and the summer just to keep yeah. it in as much health as you possibly can and allow it to develop those new shoots. Um, in but time... It's all right in a pot. It's in a, a sort of a, a... What do you call it? A, you know, a, a ceramic pot. Right, and uh, what's, the, what's the size of the pot? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Uh, it's about a, f- a foot across. Yeah. Is it not really big enough, is it? Not for a mature plant. A mature lace, <clears throat> um, lace asteria um, will get to uh, a good four, foot. S- four, five, six foot ultimately um, high and about five foot wide. wide. Um, you could, for the first year or two, keep it in a container, but ultimately it's going to do a lot better in yeah. the ground. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and what kind of? I would like to top up the soil. Do I do? Um, does it need uh, ericaceous soil? No, it doesn't. Just... No, it's not. A, it's not an ericaceous plant. It would just need something like a Johninus number two or three. Um, that would be absolutely fine. Um, so it doesn't. In that sense, it doesn't have any special requirements. They um, they are a flowering shrub that yeah. um, it probably would flower better if it was put in a sunnier spot. Um, oh, right. That was the other thing I wanted. Yeah. It's yeah. in a sunny spot at the moment, but it's a little bit of a sheltered spot. Yeah, that would be fine. That would be absolutely fine for it. What, was, say, the other, what was the other shrub? Mm. The other one. The other one, I've only just planted it. It's a Calicarpa. Calicarpa. Yeah. profusion. Lovely. Beautiful. In somebody's garden, yeah. took a little snippet of it and took it to the garden centre and said, what is this? And they showed it to me. And I, I couldn't resist buying it. No, they're lovely shrubs, aren't they? So what would you like to know about that one? I've put that, I've put that in a similar-sized pot in yeah. a sheltered place. And I want to know what kind of soil. I'm hoping I'll put it in the right soil. But was that, did that need ericaceous? I think they are a plant that's more likely to prefer an ericaceous soil. They're not one of these plants that's notorious, like blueberries or... No, it's not um, essential, but they're better. But they are better in a slightly <coughs> ericaceous soil. So if you've got... Um, what if I just put it in ordinary potting compost? Should I repot it? I wouldn't use potting compost for shrubs uh, as a rule anyhow. I'd use something that's loam-based. And you can buy, which is when we mentioned before about your lace asteria, we mentioned John Inners. Now that yeah. is a, a loam-based formulation which a lot of garden centres will sell um, and you can actually buy for the calicarpa a Johninus ericaceus which might be worthwhile so I wouldn't mm. think it's essential though as I say they're, they're not like camellias and rhododendrons and azaleas that really demand an ericaceous soil but I know they're, wood, they're a woodland plant and they would in that sense maybe prefer ericaceous so shall I better repot it at this stage you could yes yeah definitely of weeks I've done it and does that like sun or shade or dry or wet they're um, probably flower and berry better in um, a, a not deep shade but they're quite happy in semi-shade semi-shade but, and yeah. what kind of food shall I feed it please well that would be if it would require um, an ericaceous fertilizer you'd use for rhododendrons or azaleas yeah and camellias yep right okay okay thank you very much for that uh, our pleasure get- You've got two yeah. lovely shrubs there, Janet. Yeah. Cali, yeah. Cali, Calicarpa is very unusual, isn't it? Because mm. it has a purpley... 
like milky purple berries. Yeah, they're like really pearls. Yeah, they're absolutely stunning. They're really stunning. But I have often seen that planted in a sort of semi woodland yeah. scenario, which With is a green as I say, background. yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And it, like I said, that means that you know it's quite happy in semi shade. Whereas the lace hysteria, um, especially if you get sun. you get that there's a golden leaf form, and that would be happier in a more in a brighter spot. Calicarpa, though, um, also is boring in the summer, but yeah, great in the winter. Exactly. It's one of those things that you forget, yeah. you forget about in the summer. And then in the autumn, when it's got the berries on in the winter, my God, it's a stunner, isn't it? Uh, James has sent us a text. He's from Morden. He says, can I sow a lawn yet? Wow. Well... Depends uh, on the conditions of the soil. It does. If you're on the, like, say, where we are in Fingeringhoe, it's sandy and it warms up really quickly. It, We're cutting the grass now. Things are on the move. So um, when the grass is growing, it means that actually things would germinate. We've got a rash of weed seeds on the soil now. So things are moving. So in our part of the world, with our light soil, yes, you could do. If you're on a clay, heavy old clay soil that's cold and claggy and wet, that's taking a while to warm up, then... What, wait a little bit long. Wait, yeah, I would say definitely the end of the month. Um, with when you're sowing lawns, though, you don't want to be sowing in the sort of late spring into the summer because then it means that the grass you'll have to water it like crazy. So, so do wait until March, but don't leave it much later than that. As soon as you see weed seeds germinating on bare soil, that's when I would start to get my ground ready and prepare it and get the grass seed in there. So that's a good time. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And um, you've you know, got to be able to, and also, I mean, like now, the soil is really, really quite claggy if you've got clay. Yeah, you yeah. You couldn't prepare a seed bed, could you? You couldn't, no, no. I mean, it's we've had a lot of rain in the last few days, and uh, and so, yeah, clay soils, you'd need to prepare the earth before sowing your lawn seed anyhow, which would require digging or rotivating, whatever, and you wouldn't be able to do that at the moment, but hopefully by the end of the month, you might be okay. We might get some dry weather. Yeah, oh, fingers crossed. I no, it's not that bad though is it <laughs> i got soaked yesterday <clears throat> yes it was a little wet wasn't yeah it? yeah but never mind i had my good waterproofs on and it all worked now, treat. we talked about seeding but you could turf yeah you can year, do you? turfing is a lot you get a lot quicker results um but saying the, that it's more the, expensive so it depends on your budget doesn't it i think but mm. the base the the soil hasn't got to be so precise has it no no it hasn't so um again if you want to get things moving say it's an area that's really prominent in your garden at the front of the house and you're looking at this bare earth thinking god i really want to make it look lovely and green then if you've got the budget to turfing might be a better option because as ken says you can get on the soil a bit more quickly um you can also lay like a under turf you can lay a bed of sand which yep. then which a lot they do a lot on on golf courses as well don't but they not to, too thick no 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 but just to say that it doesn't then becomes quite so sticky under yeah. your feet when you're working on it so that might be something to look into as well the bbc essex gardening hour this is bbc essex thanks very much for listening to the bbc essex gardening hour podcast and if you missed any of the gardening advice tips and events you can download this program and take it with you wherever you go just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11.